Many of you are good about bringing back a bulletin. Whenever you are uh, in another church, you're visiting, you are away from us, uh, you'll stop in and visit a church and you're good about giving a bulletin. You'll, many of you give it to me. I almost think that you're trying to assure me that you were in church somewhere. Um, which I'm, I'm glad that you are. Uh, but we were away the last two weeks, so I have a bulletin for you, or two, rather. Um, so here they are. We were in church. Um, we don't take a vacation from church. Uh, and uh, we, we had a good time. But I'll tell you this, it is so weird being in another church that's, that's not your home church. And um, as weird as it was, um, it was, it was weird for, for several reasons. Um, for me, it's weird because I'm not used to sitting where you are sitting and, and to listen. I know that um, over the summer, we've had Brother David Arthur preach a couple times, and he's actually preaching for Pastor Haddon uh, at the First Baptist of West Sand Lake uh, this morning. And I want to thank him and thank uh, Brother David Santiago for preaching in my absence. But it's always weird being in a different church in a new environment. And there was one point at the first church that we were at, which was called Valley Baptist Church. It was in Virginia. That I'm sitting down, and we're getting to the point where the message is about to start, and I'm almost mentally preparing to walk up to the front and stand behind the pulpit. And I had to tell myself, this isn't your church. You're not the pastor here. Sit back. Um, but it's good to be in church, but it's definitely good to be in your home church and be among your church family. So um, it is glad. We are glad to be back. Missed you all very much and again if you want to see these as a verification that i didn't just make these up and just to appease you you can come see them uh this morning we're going to be looking at a passage from second kings chapter four uh, so if you would turn with me in your bibles at this time to second kings chapter four while we're away, uh, we, we do make it a point to listen to the messages that were preached. And I was talking to Brother David Santiago yesterday, and I told him, I said, I've got to see this rock, um, this rock that he preached about twice. So uh, in my mind, I was trying to visualize what the rock was like, the first message that he preached uh, two weeks ago, and I envisioned this small little rock. And then when I heard uh, last Sunday evening's message, I thought, well, this is obviously a bigger rock than what my mind was telling me. And then to hear him say that there were some drawings on there. You don't have it with you today, do you? It's in the car. I'm sure it is. Second um, Kings chapter 4. Uh, I don't have any um, object lessons for you. Um, I apologize for that. Um, just, just the Bible. I don't want to say just the Bible. That's not to minimalize or trivialize that at all. But 2 Kings chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And we've been looking at the life of Elisha and identifying how his life kind of mirrors the life of believers and the servants of God. And the passage that we'll be looking at here in a moment will begin at verse number 8 here in 2 Kings chapter 4 and run through verse number 17 in a sermon that I've titled, Doing Good to the household of faith, doing good to the household of faith. Now, the words that I've chosen for my title this morning are taken directly 
from Galatians chapter 6, verse number 10, which states, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, you don't know this yet because when we made the bulletins that you have this morning, we made them about three weeks ago and I forgot to put in the, the new month's memory verse for August and your memory verse this month is actually Galatians 6.10. Uh, so, Commit that to memory. And again, it says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And I've titled my message this morning, Doing Good to the Household of Faith. Now, our theme this year in 2023 has been go and tell them. Go and tell them, which is the message that Christ spoke to a man that he healed who was possessed by a legion of demons. And the account is recorded for us. One of them is recorded for us in Mark chapter 5. And he healed this man, and he told the man to go home. The man wanted to get in the boat with Jesus and then sail across the Sea of Galilee with him and go back to Israel. But Jesus told him, no. He said, go home and tell your friends and neighbors how the Lord has worked in your life. And it goes on to say that he went throughout all the region of Decapolis and he just shared the good news of what Jesus had done. And with an emphasis on this year on soul winning and personal evangelism, our theme this year has been the same, to go and tell them, to do as God instructed that man to do and as he went around in Decapolis doing, to go and tell people of the good things that Christ has done personally for us. Sometimes the best way to start sharing the gospel is by telling people how God has personally worked in your life. One thing is certain, there is always going to be a need for people to hear the gospel, and God has chosen us, believe it or not, to be the ones to bring the gospel to the world. And you're probably thinking, he made a mistake when he chose me because I can barely talk. I don't like standing in front of a group of people. I don't like just approaching people in general. But God uses us and all of our frailty and all of our weaknesses and all of our shortcomings in such a beautiful way to inspire people to be directed to the word of God and to know that there's a savior that loves them so that he can get all of the glory. He can look at us and say, I used him. And as baffling as that may be, that God can use people who every single one of us have struggles and shortcomings in some capacity, God is the one who will get all the glory in all of that because none of us are worthy. None of us are qualified. None of us are equipped the, the way that we should be on our own. But God equips us and empowers us through his strength, through his power, through his might to deliver the message that only he could speak. And so he speaks through us, through the Holy Spirit. So there, there's always going to be a need for people to hear his truth. And, and God has chosen us to be that mouthpiece, to be the instrument to bring his truth to the world. Much of the work we do for Christ, though, it doesn't even begin in church. It begins in the home. Um, and then it translates to the church. A church is intended to be a place for believers to gather where we can sharpen all of our tools for evangelism and to be edified in the Word of God. That means to be strengthened, to be built up in the Word of God because our ministry as Christians isn't limited by what happens within these walls. It really begins when we exit this building. That's when the ministry starts. So we come here and we, we sharpen our tools, we get equipped from the Word of God and we pre get prepared and then we go out into the mission field, which is everywhere else should be and start bringing the word to those that desperately need it. The context there in 
In Galatians chapter 6, which is the, the verse that I quoted, which is our memory verse, um, verse 10 for this month of August, the context there in Galatians 6 is dealing with our relationships with fellow believers and the importance of even bearing one another's burdens. That's how the chapter starts. At the end of that thought, we have this verse, Galatians 6.10, do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, we are definitely to go out into all the world and to share the gospel with everyone, but we're also to minister to those that we sit next to in church. Our passage this morning, 2 Kings chapter 4, will demonstrate this very truth of believers ministering to fellow believers. The sixth miracle here in the life and ministry of Elisha will be done for a fellow believer. What is interesting is that this woman that we're going to be reading about takes it upon herself to first be a blessing to the man of God, Elisha, just because he traveled by her house on a regular basis. She had the opportunity to help someone, and she took advantage of that opportunity. When was the last time that we took advantage of an opportunity to help someone that we didn't know? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but just think about when was the last time any of you, any of us, helped someone that we didn't know? When was the last time we took advantage of an opportunity to help someone that we do know? Helping someone doesn't need to be something extravagant. We don't need to make some big, gigantic, grand gesture in order to truly help someone that is in need. I think we tend to talk ourselves out of helping some people because we convince ourselves that our version of help won't actually do this person any good. We see that there's a need, but uh, it's not really my area of expertise. I'm not really skilled in this area to help out, so I'm just going to leave it for the next person to come and offer help. We might assess what we think to be the person's need and determine that we don't have the skill set. To be of assistance. We may see these people all the time uh, and just know that we can't offer them help. Now, how many of you see people on the side of the road holding up a sign? Everyone, right? You don't have to go very far to drive very far to see this, but we see them all the time. And sometimes the sign will hold, that holding might say something like, anything helps. And what we do when we're in the car and we approach them, isn't always helpful, is it? Now, if we're honest, probably most of us will look the other way. We may even lock the door because we don't know what to do. And we're afraid that, you know, if they see us making eye contact, they're going to approach us and we have nothing to offer and we don't want to engage in some conversation with them. And so we, we avoid making eye contact and just try and pretend like we, didn't, we never saw them in the first time, in the first place. Now, I'm not suggesting that we give money to everyone that claims to, to, to need it. But there are other ways of helping people. There are a lot of folks who will carry bags of food in their car so that whenever they come across an individual who's standing on the side of the road with a sign that says anything helps, they can reach into the back of their car and grab one of the bags of food that they have and hand it out the window to a person that may genuinely be in need. We've gone and, and picked up food for people before. I don't know what it is, but... And Ruthie can attest to this, I seem to have a magnet to attract people. And there are times where we've 
I remember one specific occasion. We were walking into a mall, and this was when Ruthie and I were first married. We were living in Florida, and we're walking into a mall, and there was a guy probably 100 yards away from us. He's walking in our direction, and I just got the sense he's coming right towards us. And Ruthie knew, and she was telling me, she said, just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking. And I said, I have a feeling this guy's walking right towards us. And sure enough, he came right to us. And he asked us for help, and he said that he needed money for gas. Now, we don't make it a point to give out cash because we just don't know how it's going to be used. But I told him, I said, if you want to meet me at a gas station that is just a block away, we can go and we can fill up your gas tank. Now, she was nervous because you just don't know who you're going to encounter and you want to give everyone the benefit of doubt. And so we've done things like this where we've met people at a gas station or we've picked up groceries for people who have said that they've needed different things. And there's different ways that you can do things to offer help to people. And sometimes people will turn you down. I had one guy, as I was pulling out of getting my oil changed, he approached me on a bicycle and said that he was hungry and needed money for food. I didn't have any money, but there was a, a fast food chain just 100 yards away. And I said, I don't have any money, but if you want to ride your bike over there, I'll meet you there and I'll buy you some food. And he said, you don't have any money? You asked for money for food. I'm offering you food. And he just rode off. Some people, they, they're looking for money for something else. But there are different ways that we can help, and there's good things that we can do, and there's all sorts of opportunities for us to be a blessing to others. We just need to be ready for when those opportunities do present themselves. And in each of these instances where Ruthie and I maybe have brought food to someone that had been in need, we've tried to make it a point to share the gospel with them, to at least give them a gospel track. So they're, yes, they're getting their gas tanks filled, or yes, they're getting some groceries, or yes, they're getting a quick meal, but they're also getting the gospel going home with them, and they're recognizing something even of more value and of more necessity. It honestly doesn't take much to be a blessing to another person. Sometimes all it takes is for us to take notice of these people that are all around us. God puts people in our lives, people that we pass by, on a daily basis sometimes that we don't even notice. And there are genuine needs that these people have. And that includes fellow church believers. Do you know everyone in church? I'm not going to point fingers, but do all of you know everyone in church? Someone said no. Okay, yeah. Dr. Cowie was here helping out with the workday yesterday, and he said, you know, one of the reasons I like to come is for the fellowship, to get to know some people. I'll be honest. I'm sure that most of us, maybe not most of us, but a lot of us don't know every single person. Now, I'm not asking if you know everyone's name, but do you know something personal about everyone at church? You don't need to know everything about everyone, but we should be at least aware of the people in church on speaking terms with everyone in church, the people that we're striving to minister and work together. We're on a mission together as a body of believers here at Latham Bible Baptist Church to reach the world, or at least our world, for Christ. And as a body of believers, we're strong when we're working together. We're not an effective ministry if we have strife and division and we're not even on speaking terms with everyone in church. The biblical command is for us to live in unity with fellow believers and to do good unto all men, Galatians 6.10 says, especially to them who are of the household of faith. What good are we to the world if we don't even have our own house in order? As we take a look at Elisha's sixth miracle, 
we'll see both Elisha and a godly woman practice this principle of doing good. I want you to notice first the connection of the miracle, the connection of the miracle. Notice what it says in verse number 8 of 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4 verse 8, it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. The connection of the miracle. So based on the fact that this passage begins with the word and, which is a conjunction, and it fell on a day, tells us that this sixth miracle was closely related to the previous miracle. And in that it probably happened not too long after. Both of these miracles had to do with Elisha encountering women. But these women had some very stark contrasts. Both are believed to be God-fearing women. If you remember the, the, women, from, uh, the woman from the first seven verses, uh, this woman had approached uh, Elisha because a creditor was threatening to take her two sons to make them bondmen to pay off a debt that she couldn't pay off. Her husband had recently died and she was unable to maintain any sort of income and was desperately trying to avoid losing her two sons as well uh, after she had lost her, her husband. And this woman, we're told, had next to nothing and the only thing she had left was a pot of oil in her home that was not going to last her all that long. Now this other woman in our passage this morning, beginning of verse number 8 and down through verse number 17, was actually pretty well-to-do. She had plenty of money, plenty of possessions, a large house. Her husband was alive, but she had no children. The previous woman had two sons. The woman who was poor, the woman who was in danger of losing her sons was put to the test, and the woman who had plenty was not. The first woman went out looking for Elisha, when she was in need, and the other woman was not in need of anything when she first encountered this prophet. So that's the connection. Secondly, I want you to notice the location of the miracle. Look again at what it says in verse number 8. It says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And we can read over this detail rather quickly without giving it too much thought, but the Bible records the location for a reason. Shunem was mentioned a total of three times in the Old Testament, and it is referenced first in Joshua chapter 19 and verse number 18, where we're told that it was located in the territory that was allotted to the tribe of Issachar. And then it is mentioned again in 1 Samuel 28 and verse number 4, where we're told that this was the place where the Philistines gathered as they prepared to battle against Israel. And this was when Saul was terrified. After inquiring the Lord in vain, he sought out this medium at Endor. Now, geographically, Shunem lay in the road between Samaria and Carmel, a road that Elisha most likely would have traveled often based on what we see at the end of 2 Kings chapter 2. We're told that he probably lived in that region around Mount Carmel. Certainly a significant place, and the Lord would once again put that place on the map here the third time. So the location of the miracle. But notice third, the beneficiary of the miracle. The beneficiary of the miracle. Again, we're told in verse number 8, it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. 
This woman is called great, which was a reference to her substance, to her wealth, and all that she and her husband had together. But this woman was also great in other areas. She was great in hospitality. She was great in serving. She was great in discernment. As she was able to perceive, and we'll see this later on, that Elisha was a man of God. She was great in meekness as she submitted to her husband's headship in the home and thoughtfulness for the needs of others and in the care that she took in providing for Elisha's comfort. She was great in being content, great in wisdom as she realized that Elisha would desire even a quiet place to rest, as we'll see in just a little while. She was great in faith, confident, relying upon God to show himself strong on her behalf. And in many ways, this woman was the virtuous woman that we read about in Proverbs 31. But look again at verse number 8. It says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where it was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Now, we don't know exactly where Elisha was living, but it must have been somewhere near Mount Carmel. And it's possible that as he was traveling, most likely to teach the sons of the prophets, his journey took him through Shunem. And based on the language here in verse number 8, this was a regular commute. This was maybe even a daily commute for the prophet Elijah. And time and time again, as he's going and walking right by this woman's house, he was met by this woman every single day, every single morning on his morning commute, who, as it says there in verse number 8, she constrained him to eat bread, to eat some food each time he passed by. There are a number of lessons that we can learn from this, both from Elisha as well as from this woman. The woman was obviously aware enough to notice that Elisha was passing by her home on a consistent basis. She was smart enough to know that he didn't live there, but could benefit from some food from most, most likely a big journey that he had before him. Now, think of how many people that we pass by or that pass by us on a daily basis. How many of those people do we give a second thought to? We may have regular people that we pass by on a consistent basis that we don't even acknowledge their presence. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should be offering food to every single person that passes by us. But at the very least, we should be acknowledging and even greeting one another. Do we treat fellow church members this way? How many people do you pass by in church every single week without greeting, without talking to, without even acknowledging their presence? God had gifted this woman here in hospitality, gifted her in service, and she was looking for opportunities to use that gift. Even if you're gifted the same way that this woman here was gifted, that doesn't give you the excuse to be cold to others, especially the people that we're worshiping side by side with in church. What kind of a testimony are we to the unsaved, to people that maybe are visiting our church, if we don't even get along with the people that we go to church with, let alone talk to one another? Is it that hard to smile and to greet a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Think of this woman's testimony. We never even get her name. We're never even told her name. But our first introduction to her 
shows us that she genuinely cares for others, someone she doesn't even know, and that she'll take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to everyone. And what I love about this woman is that she truly had a heart for service. This is evident based on the fact that she didn't need to be told to do something. Elisha didn't approach her and say, listen, I'm passing by your house every day. Can you do me a favor? Could you have some food set aside for me? Could you have some provisions? I'm coming from a long distance and it would really be a big help to me if you could maybe have a table prepared for me so that I could have some sustenance to get me the rest of my journey. He doesn't approach her. In fact, we're told in verse number 8 that she had to constrain him. He's passing by and he's rejecting the offer, rejecting the offer, rejecting the offer as she's saying, please, just come in and have some dinner. Please, come and have some breakfast. Please, let me just help you with this. Let me help you with this. And he's saying, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And he goes on and just passes by and passes by and passes by. He didn't approach her. She's approaching him. She went looking for an opportunity to help. Many believers keep to themselves too much. Now, I'm going to be honest with you for a The Lord led us here to Latham Bible Baptist Church now a little over two years ago. And one thing I've noticed, and this is what we know, Ruthie and I noticed this from almost day one, is that not a lot of people stick around after the service. Many are, are quick to leave once the service is over. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it's nice to stick around and, and have some fellowship. I know we have the greeting chorus, but can you honestly say that you get an opportunity in the greeting chorus to talk and to shake hands with everyone? Probably not. Take time. Get to know some of the other folks that you attend church with. It's okay if you, you're just scooting out every once in a while, but take some time. I, I would love after a Sunday evening service, to be having to kick you out of church because I want to get home and go to bed. I would love for that to happen because that tells me we're a church that loves fellowship. We're a church that loves company. We're a church that just enjoys being around one another. I'm not saying you have to stay here until midnight all the time, but it's okay to stick around sometimes and, and talk and fellowship a little bit. I, I know there's time to do this before the service there's time even during the greeting course but often the best opportunity to stop and to get to know people is after the service where you're not watching the clock thinking okay you know the service is about to start so I got to wrap this up really quick talk to people the point I'm trying to make is that based on how this woman is described here in second Kings chapter 4 she was sociable she enjoyed being around people, and I think we should be the same. How are we expecting to be a witness for Christ if we don't even care to be around the people that are fellow believers? Who's going to approach an unbeliever if they're not even that too fond of fellow believers? She enjoyed being around people, and we should be the same. And notice that she didn't limit her social interactions to just the people that she knew, for she approached Elisha without even knowing him. Talk to people. In church, start with just people People in church. Talk to people that you don't normally talk to. Get to know one another. You know what? Here's a novel idea. Go out to eat with people. Invite people to your home. Have people over for dinner. Spend time talking to people after church, not during church, after church. 
There's no need to feel like you have to rush out of the building as soon as we've sung our last hymn and as soon as we're done praying. Sometimes we act like we have lunch reservations that we need to hurry off to and I'm the one that's keeping you from getting to your reservation on time. Maybe that's the case. But all I'm saying is learn a lesson from this woman and make time for people, especially those that you're passing by on a weekly basis. Now looking at Elisha, so those are some lessons we can learn from the woman. But looking at Elijah, there are several lessons that we can learn from him as well. We're told in verse number 8 that this woman, it says, she constrained him to eat bread. Now that means that she was persistent to come and to approach him. She's probably on the lookout. So every morning as he's making his commute by the house, she sees him. And so she's running out of the house and saying, I've got breakfast on the table. How about you just grab something quick for the rest of your journey? Eggs, bacon, sausage, all the good stuff. If you want waffles, I'll make waffles. I'm making you hungry, right? She says, I've got food. Just, just take something. Every morning, however, however often he's passing by, she is constraining him, and she's persistent to try and help. Some of us are, are very reluctant to receive any sort of help from others, and, and for a variety of reasons. However, if someone is offering us something that is genuinely a help, you don't have to continue to deny it. Some of us think that we cannot accept any help at all, even if we could truly benefit from the help that is being offered. We're adamant that regardless of the situation, we should be able to manage on our own. By golly, we're going to do it. And based on the fact that this woman, it says, constrained Elijah, it is obvious that he didn't initially accept the offer. With some persistence on her part, she eventually prevailed as Elisha finally took her up on her offer. Is there anything wrong with receiving help from someone? Is there anything wrong with receiving help from someone? Shake your head no. Do me a favor. Okay, some of you need a lesson on that. There's nothing wrong with receiving help. This is an area, I'll be honest with you, that the Lord has been working with me on. And what he has taught me is that Two hands are often better than one. I'm not saying that we have to take up everyone's offer for help, but in many instances, we are robbing others from the opportunity for them to be a blessing by rejecting their offer to help. Elisha wasn't forcing this woman to help him, neither was he asking for her help. However, he was smart enough to eventually accept her offer, recognizing that God had actually ordained all this, that God had set this woman on the path that he was traveling on a regular basis, and God was using her to be a blessing to him. It can be a fine line that we have to walk at times because you certainly don't want to take advantage of those who are always willing to help, but you also don't want to discourage those people from offering to help. Throughout life, there are going to be ups and downs for the Lord's servants. There are going to be days where your help is going to be gladly welcomed, that you're going to offer and someone's going to take you up on it right away. Yes, I can gladly use your assistance in this. And there are other days where it is going to be like pulling teeth or you're going to be shot down. Everything that you do, even if it's clearly going to help the individual, they're going to reject it, they're going to deny it, they're going to shoot you down every single time. Don't let the down times discourage you. For our Lord experienced the same ups and downs that, that we experience in our lives as well. There were many instances where Christ was gladly received. And even more, where he was widely rejected. Either way, in Romans 12, 13, 
It tells us that we should be practicing hospitality specifically to fellow believers. It says distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Now on top of that, listen to how we are to be hospitable. In 1 Peter 4 and verse number 9, it says, Use hospitality one to another, get this, without grudging. Okay, God has commanded me to be hospitable, so come on in, take some of the stuff that I have to offer. No, do it without grudging. How do you do it without grudging? Anyone know? What's the opposite of grudging? Happy heart, cheerfulness, right? You're excited, you're eager to help out because you know you're going to be a blessing and you know you're serving the Lord. We need to be distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, and use hospitality one to another, the Bible says, without grudging. What I see in this woman is that she took the initiative and demonstrated true hospitality. She constrained him to eat bread as oft as he passed by. This was not just a one-time gesture that she felt compelled to do out of guilt. This was genuine hospitality. This was an open-ended offer. I don't know if you all have noticed this, but you can normally tell when someone is being genuine and when they're being fake, when they're offering you help. It's rather obvious when someone has been forced to help out in some way, as opposed to those who sincerely desire to help. You can tell a difference in their mannerisms, in their demeanor, in their attitude, and nearly everything about them, just how they're saying it. You can tell this person doesn't really want to help. They're saying the right things, the way they're saying it, the way their body language is, is holding themselves, they really don't want to help. Elisha was no dummy. He could see that this woman was completely sincere in her offer, and it still took a lot of convincing on her part for him to finally accept. Every time he passed by, this woman was probably waiting for him, insisting that he take her up on her offer. She was constantly looking for an opportunity to do good to others, and she was doing this without seeking any sort of personal gain. She literally got nothing out of this. It wasn't as if God told her, do this, and you'll be blessed this way. Now, there would be some gain that she would get, and we'll find out just in a moment what that would be. But there was no inkling that her act of hospitality was going to be met with anything in return. Every time he passed by, she was waiting for him. What a testimony. How many of us do the same? If we polled all the people that we pass by on a regular basis, would they say the same about us? That we're being acknowledged. Or that they're being acknowledged. That we're acknowledging other people. That we're offering to help. Or are we just passing by and passing by and passing by without having a second thought of who that we're passing by? Would people that we pass by say that we're always offering to help with whatever they have going on? Would they say that we're trying to encourage them in some way? Would they say that we're sincerely desiring to do them good? And would they say that in all of it, we have no ulterior motive? Now, this woman's persistence made her unavoidable, and Elisha eventually takes her up on her offer. Whenever he passed by, she invited him to eat, and he happily accepted. And notice what we see in verses 9 and 10. It says, And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. 
Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. God had blessed this woman with spiritual discernment as she was able to see that Elisha was a man of God. Those who are walking in subjection to the will of God are given spiritual perception. It is when we're walking outside of the will of God that our perception is clouded and we're unable to discern things spiritually. God had gifted her with spiritual eyes. And notice again how she describes him. She says, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God. She didn't say, This is a nice man. This is a smart man, a well-educated man. But she says, A holy man of God. How many of the people that we pass by on a consistent basis maybe every day, maybe every week, would say the same about us. This person is a child of God. How many would say that? Is there enough evidence in who we are, just on a daily basis, that we're a child of God, that we're a servant of God, so that the people that we're passing by can look at us and say, there goes a Christian. There goes a faithful follower of God, even if they're not saved, can they identify us as being a child of God based on how we're passing them by continually? You see, there is something different about Elisha, and it was noticeable. We don't know exactly what it was that led her to say this, but either way, she was convinced that he was a holy man of God. It could have been that she noticed him praying. It could have been that through the conversation that they had on a regular basis where he's rejecting the offer. Or even from his general demeanor. And honestly, I'm glad we're not told what made her say that she believes this man is a man of God. Because the servant of God shouldn't need to start talking differently and walking differently and dressing differently in order for people to identify him as a servant of God. His walk, his talk, his behavior, his clothing, and everything about him as a child of God should already be that which is becoming a servant of God. If we're having to turn into something completely different than who we are Monday through Friday when we come to church, we're not just lying to the people in the church around us, we're lying to everyone, including ourselves. She recognized Elisha as a holy man of God because no matter what he was doing, which we don't even know, where he was going, what he was saying, all of it evidenced that he was walking in the Lord's will and seeking to glorify him because that is who he was. He was a walking testament to God. And you know what? That's who this woman was as well. This offer was not an impulse that she made. This wasn't a, a fleeting act of kindness that she did once and it was gone from her mind again. Never again, never to had again. This is who she was. This is who she was every single day. She didn't get tired from ministering to God's servant. In fact, she never felt that she could do enough for him. When he finally accepted the offer, she goes to her husband and she says, we need to do more. We need to build him a little prophet's chamber. We need to set him up because this food isn't enough. This is the holy man of God. He needs to be taken care of. He needs to be respected. He needs to be set up because he's doing God's work. So let's make sure there's a place for him to sleep when he comes by. Let's make sure that he has a, a candle to, to read and to study and to, and to pray and to do everything he needs to do. Let's make sure he's taken care of. Nothing was enough. 
She wasn't just content feeding him. She needed to make a chamber for him to sleep and to study. Whenever he passed by, it was never an inconvenience to host Elisha. In fact, every time he came around, this woman was eager to provide for his uh, need and for his comfort. Sometimes we get tired of helping people, don't we? Sometimes we get annoyed with ourselves for offering to help someone because they take us up on it. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting them to take us up on it. I mean, yeah, I guess I offered, but I guess now I'm committed. And we feel obligated to keep offering every time that person comes by. Well, I offered once, they took me up, but now I'm forced to do it, right? I'm, now I'm a, a bad guy. I'm a jerk if I don't offer them a second time they come by. It can get to the point where we don't even want to see certain people because we know they're going to take us up on our offer to help, which is not a true offer. It's just something that we're saying to be nice. And here in 2 Kings chapter 4, we see what doing good to the household of faith really looks like. I want you to notice fourth, the occasion of the miracle. Because we haven't even seen the miracle yet. The occasion of the miracle. Look at verses 11 and 12. And it fell on a day that he came thither and returned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And the fact that Elisha didn't initially accept this woman's offer shows us that he didn't think more highly of himself than what he should. Now, he, what I mean by that is that he wasn't going around expecting people to treat him in any sort of way. He wasn't expecting people to roll out the red carpet and to just line up to offer, to help, to offer him food, to offer him a home. He wasn't thinking of himself this way. He was truly grateful and eager to show his appreciation. Unfortunately, we see a lot of believers today get this sense of entitlement as if they should be receiving some sort of preferential treatment. It doesn't matter if you've been a member of this church for 50 years or even for five minutes. None of us deserve preferential treatment. None of us should be walking around as if we own the place. None of us have the right to be talking down to others. We're all members, and we're members of one body. And even if you've been here 100 years longer than everyone else, that doesn't mean you're entitled to anything over anyone else. Thankfully, Elisha shows us here how a servant of God should behave and what his attitude should be. He was so appreciative for the kindness that he was shown, for he knew he didn't deserve it. What he was thinking about was what he could do for this woman to demonstrate his appreciation. So that's the occasion. And notice fifth, the peculiarity of the miracle. Notice what it says in verse 13, the peculiarity of the miracle. Verse 13, it says, And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. So Elisha, he's wanting to know, what can he do to show his appreciation? to this incredible kindness that has been shown to him. And he's at a loss trying to figure out what he, what he can do. Everything he offers is politely declined. The woman seems to be completely content with how God has already blessed her. She says, I already got everything I need. I'm not doing this to see what you can do for me. I just want to help. And I see areas in which I can help. And honestly, she's thinking, I'm not even doing enough for you. What makes this miracle different than the rest is the fact that it would be proposed 
not by the beneficiary, the woman, or even the prophet Elisha, but his servant. And notice, sixth, the nature of the miracle. The nature of the miracle. Look at verses 14 through 17. So he's perplexed. She says, I don't need anything. Verse 14, it says, And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that Elisha didn't have a sense of entitlement. He didn't feel that he was owed any sort of preferential treatment. And that was evident in how he treated his servant. In the previous chapter, Elisha made a point of telling, remember, three kings approached him in, in 2 Kings chapter 3. Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom. They all approached him with this desperate need. They were out of water and they were going to die against the Moabites. And he made a point, Elisha did, of telling Jehoram that the only reason he was even speaking to him was because of Jehoshaphat's presence. But here, he shows no disdain with conferring with Gehazi, his servant, and was even pleased to use his idea. This woman may have been content with all that God had given her, but there was one thing that God hadn't given her. It is a special mark of God's favor to give children to those that have long been childless. Now, we're not entirely sure if her response came from unbelief. As she says there at the end of verse number 16, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. But either way, she would receive God's reward. And notice, seventh, the meaning of the miracle. The meaning of the miracle. Now, based on what we know about this woman, I believe it is clear that she was a believer in God. I believe that she was both morally as well as spiritually great, as it describes her there in verse number eight as being great. The way she honored and ministered unto the prophet of God, especially during a day when you remember the prophets of God were persecuted and killed. It was not popular to be a prophet of God. The fact that Elisha accepted her hospitality insist that he recognized her sincerity. The fact that he had to be constrained shows us that he wasn't willing to accept help from just anybody. And honestly, you're almost on guard if you're a prophet during these days thinking, what's the angle here? Jezebel's been killing prophets. Is there some sort of reward if you bring me into your house? Is there a trap I'm stepping into? He doesn't offer, doesn't have any of these thoughts. He constrained, or she constrained, and the fact that he, she had to constrain tells us that he wasn't willing to help, receive help from anybody. But once he was satisfied with her spirituality, as he passed by often and continually and saw her true heart, he gladly accepted. God blessed this woman not because she was seeking a blessing, but because she was seeking to be a blessing. Elisha was blessed by this woman not when he was seeking to be blessed, but at a time when, he was, when it was completely unexpected, as he was just about the Lord's work. As servants of Christ, our attitude should be to serve Christ faithfully, not looking to see what we can get out of it, but only seeking to magnify and glorify our Savior, to minister to fellow believers, and to seek to be a blessing wherever and whenever we can. If you're making it a point to live the way God has called you to live, I promise you, 
you will not have to look for opportunities to do good to others. Let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be among fellow believers. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that may not know you as their personal Savior. Lord, that you would convict their heart, help them to see that their need for you is paramount, Lord, far greater than any other need that we'll ever face. And Lord, help them to understand that the only way to salvation is not through any works that they're going to do, but Lord, simply through believing on Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, thank you for knowing how weak and frail, frail that we are and for making your offer of salvation so simple. Lord, we know that eternity is hanging in the balance. And I pray, Lord, that anyone here this morning, Lord, who has heard this message and understands, Lord, that salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ and through him alone. And in the Lord ordinance that we're going to partake in here this morning, which is a memorial of what Christ has done to make salvation possible, where he went to the cross and paid for all of our sin, died upon that cross, spilled his own blood in our place, was buried in the tomb, and then three days later rose victoriously, triumphantly from that tomb, conquering sin and death, giving victory, offering salvation so free to all who believe in him for their salvation. Lord, I pray for each one here. And if they don't know you, Lord, they would turn to you here this morning. Lord, that they would trust in you as their Savior. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for making salvation so simple. And I pray, Lord, for those that do know you, Lord, that you would help us to live. Live the way you've called us to live. To do good to all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we